welcome to episode 166 of We The Gamer Cast. It comes to you on iTunes, Google Play, and mother-loving YouTube every single Monday. Thank you for being here, hitting subscribe, hitting thumbs up, and joining me. Thank you for just sharing and leaving a comment on the video. Everything you guys do is amazing, especially all the people who support us at patreon.com slash makeusbetter, like our platinum executive producers, Mr. Corey Hicks at twitch.tv slash chicks underscore 18, and Mr. Mark Moody at youtube.com slash out of lives. More on him in just a second. Our gold executive producers, Mike BC and Panache Malloy, and our executive producers, Stephen Iafrady, Joey Splats, Carol Underwood, Dante Bellini Jr., Jared Gauthier, Dude427, Kevin Austin, Josh Barboni, Tammy Ryan, Robert Bobby Miller, Tim Alf, Martini Jean, David Ray, Jesse Armstrong. I try to do that a little bit from memory, and every now and then I kind of get a little tripped up, but you guys can probably hear that. Um, if you're new, guys, here's the deal. Every week I have sweet hangs with a stranger from the internet. And if you want to be on the show, it's very easy. Just tweet at me, at Sean Capri. Sean like Connery Capri like the pants. That's the whole, that's the whole, like, rigmarole at the start. Guys, I, um, have a great chat. This is probably the one that I've been looking forward to sharing with you the most in a long, long time. I had had this conversation last weekend, and uh, Allie is probably one of the most intelligent people I've had the privilege to speak to. So uh, this week is a an extremely a, another special episode of We the Gamer Cast. We we talk about everything this week, and I can't wait for you guys to to hear it. Um, many of you have been following along this whole week. Uh, some news about the Xbox Drive dropped this week. That show is on is on hold. It's on I don't even know what it's on. It's not happening right now. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to share with you guys on that. I, I sort of like creepishly tweeted out a, a thing from the Xbox Drive's Twitter account of um, the six million dollar man like being rebuilt. We will rebuild it bigger, stronger, faster. And the most honest truth with you is I have no idea when or what or how or what it all looks like and. It has been weighing on me so much ever since I even tweeted that out. It sucks, man. It's uh, just in general, like this last week has been a lot of, it's been challenging. It's been, even though when I announced it, I had a lot of great, I mentioned this on the, on If Red Nintendo on Friday with Bobby and Jason, um, tons of, of positive support, which oddly enough, just sort of makes it all that more confusing. Um, a lot of love for the Xbox drive. I had probably the most fun doing that like this is this is a different type of show i don't necessarily know if this is the fun show it's a great show i think i'm i'm equally as proud of we the gamer cast as i am if we're a nintendo and the xbox drive but they're just they're all different they're like they're like children i suppose um and it sucks i just my my heart is is aching about this uh, so i don't know what to do about it rest assured that i <laughs> it's probably affecting my my day-to-day honestly ever since um it weighs on me big time man i i don't know what i'm doing and and ask chelsea i'm thinking about it every moment so i was hoping to on friday on if we're nintendo i had mentioned i would probably talk a little bit more about the situation and what everything happened and i'm not going to do that today i probably won't ever do that actually because i'm just i'm running through a thousand i'm like dr strange um, running through a billion different scenarios and I'm trying to figure out which one ends up to the most positive outcome. And so um, that's the Xbox drive for you guys. I really want to thank everybody for supporting us through the whole run of the Xbox drive. And especially for now that it's that it, that we've missed officially one week. It's officially been, I can't even say the words, man. It sucks. Um, so many people have reached out. So thank you guys so much. Um, a lot of just generally, just a lot of negativity, man. And I'm just trying to, like rise above it as, as my good friend Ray Osorio would say. Uh, so just, you know, be kind to one another. I, I even got myself into some, some really just horrible, horrible situations, some bad conversations, whether it's with my good friends or just like lashing out at people on Twitter or just like being part of conversation I'm not pro- normally part of. And it just affects me so badly, man. So I just need to recognize that in myself. Um, but I'm just sort of rambling now a little bit. So I wanted to bring you guys up today. Usually I'm like, oh, everything's great and I'm grateful and blah, 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 blah. But, um, yeah, it sucks. It, Xbox Drive ending is one of the worst things ever. Um, but today we have a great chat with my good friend Ali Mushkin. Before we get to that, I want to let you guys know that, um, uh, Mr. Mark Moody had me on his podcast. And I wanted to thank you guys so much for that. You guys go over to youtube.com slash out of lives to check that out. It went up on, actually, I'm recording this on Saturday. So it went up today. It went up on Saturday. Please go to the YouTube channel. Check it out. I got to talk all about like 
gosh, Batman and Supergirl and Johnny Depp getting sued or something. And we were talking about Notorious B.I.G. It was great to talk about movies. For those of you who don't know, I used to do a, a movie podcast called Nerdflix and Chill. So this was this was awesome. Thank you so much, Mark Moody, for having me on. And I hope to hope to go on again. Maybe I'll actually watch a movie next time. So that was great. Why don't we why don't we get into my conversation? This is one for the books. This is one I will remember forever and ever and ever. Ali Mushka, one of my favorite people on the planet, happens to be Canadian, happens to be one of the smartest people I've ever met. Totally genuine and kind, and I think you guys are going to love this chat. Follow her on Twitter. Let her know how much you appreciate her and how much you love this chat, because I know you will. So you might as well just go ahead and do that now. At that little fly. Also, wait to the very end to discover why that is. It's going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. It gave me a nosebleed. I went cross-eyed. Here she is, Ali Mushka. Isn't that scary? Like all the old accounts that like we have just yeah. like that still very much exist in the digital space. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh man, somebody's going to be able to like do like, like if you ever wanted to be a politician, like it's over. Like you just, you can't. I know. Oh no. It's like, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, really? I mean, I, you know, I had a YouTube channel. Like I have this active Twitter and Instagram. Like there's no way. There's like, just like. <laughs> There's no way. There would just be too much. People would be like, oh, this girl made like Dark Souls videos back in the day. Like, we can't elect her to the office. <laughs> well, maybe actually the way things are going with like superhero movies being the right thing to do now, like maybe that is what will get you elected into office. Yeah. Like, oh man, this person's amazing. She made all these great Bloodborne and Dark Souls videos. Let's get her in there. She knows what she's talking about. Exactly. Like, yeah, maybe the the trends will change so much that it's like, yeah, this is the person that we need. Isn't that that nuts how things like worked out like that? Like, I wish that somebody could have at least like lied to us. Like, because like back in the day, like there was no hope for geeks and nerds and stuff. It was just like, well, you're going to be screwed for the rest of your life. But like, even if somebody and like that was the belief, I think that it was it would always be like that because somebody would have said, you know what? You guys just wait. You're going to be the ones to rue the day. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess there was, like, kind of stuff like that. I just don't think that we ever really believed them. Like, they're always like, oh, yeah, like, there's always, you know, there's, like, when you're in high school, you're like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, the the popular kids are popular now, but, like, just wait, like, the nerds are going to be really cool. And it it was just always seemed like something that people just said to make you feel better about yourself <laughs> i actually it's so funny that you say that because yeah like i was saying that before thinking no nobody gave us any sort of like false hope but you're absolutely right it was right yeah, those cool kids are gonna grow up i bet that's something that repeats time over time again it's uh, i think that's been around since like oh like well okay like not to get like weirdly biblical but like the meek shall inherit the earth that's like a you know that's like a thing that people have been saying to like the quiet shy people forever right it's just like don't don't worry guys your time is gonna come mm-hmm. <laughs> now that might be the first time where like that might actually be coming true although i don't know i just feel like once a nerd always a nerd no matter how cool you get you just and, it, and it's good in a way it keeps you humble as long as you don't get too bitter about it keeps you humble keeps you like yeah, it yeah, depends I'm on the nerd experience you had right yeah yeah if it was like really bad then maybe but i was always like i was not popular i was nerdy but never like never picked on or bullied or anything and i right. think that totally changes people's perception about stuff just because i had it pretty okay were you were you quiet as a kid because i think you say like the meek and the quiet and everything like i was definitely mm-hmm. like i was like fading into the background just just listening i was always observing and then like if i ever said something people would be like oh sean's actually talking now it's like i can't do that anymore when you podcast that's never gonna happen but i basically right. did learn to talk until i was like 27 years old i think <laughs> like, it was a very late bloomer when it comes to that like was it similar with you uh not really i mean i think um compared to like some of my other friends were definitely more sort of social and outgoing but i was really smart in school Mm -hmm. um so i was like sort of like debate team like drama class so i was very vocal i mean it often came down to me i was often the only one like reading the homework so i would always be you know (laughs) up there with my opinions but in terms of like socializing and stuff i'm definitely introvert so i would never go to like any parties or anything it would just be like me with my books in the evening but Mm -hmm. in terms of like having a voice so like people yeah i would debate with people or you know just be because i was like an act again debate to you i like drama club like Mm -hmm. nerdy things but like nerdy like 
vocal outspoken thing. And I guess nerdy, but still like you still had like the groups that you could, would hang out even in those little like cliques and stuff. Because totally, yeah, drama especially was particularly like that was sort of my life in in high school for sure. <laughs> what kind of stuff did you do in drama? <laughs> um, we did musicals, plays. Uh, we had competitions like. We wrote our own play one year and we competed in festivals. It's like Get kind of, of like, yeah, kind of like what you would imagine, like, like Glee Club, like Glee on mm-hmm. the, you know, big show Glee, how they were like going to regionals. Like that was a big thing for us. Regionals. Like Holy I didn't do, I didn't do singing Glee Club, but we did like theater competitions and stuff. Yeah. And there would be award ceremonies. I remember just like the drama that goes on, like one of the judges, like one of the years we did, um, a play of Arthur Miller's The Crucible, which is, um, you know, th- this big play, whatever. So I was the lead woman in it, and then my partner was the lead man or whatever. And I remember, like, the the judge at one point would give us, like, a recap of our performance, and he would be like, oh, you know, the male lead did so good, and the female lead was okay. I remember just, like, I was, like, crying. And oh, no! Made. Like, it's just, it was so dramatic and fun, but, like, so much fun just, like, to go on competitions. Like, you know, we'd have a bus, and we'd, like, go places, and then we'd, like, it was a whole production of- <laughs> Yeah. That's incredible. That's like the opposite. Cause like I always thought, like I, cause I just don't, you don't know what's normal or what's totally like obscure yeah. and, and weird as you're growing up. Yeah. Like for me growing up, I thought just like only American schools were like the ones that we saw on TV right. where like they had these big, like, like you said, like regionals and, and like yeah. even like multiple floors and these big productions and stuff. But like that's uh, what you're describing essentially. No, we had that. Yeah. It's definitely, I'm sure, on a smaller scale, but like the Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, Sears Festival, Sears Drama Festival. We have that. We <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I haven't thought about that in such a long time, but yeah, oh my god. Isn't it amazing that like feeling that you get? You just think about like the those like and they're what? Like three, four years, depending on like how you define like high school and where you are and stuff. Like Yeah, yeah. It's nothing. Like three years, like in the blink of an eye. Like my wife and I have been married for four years and it's like oh that I feel like that just happened. Yeah. I know. That's I can't crazy. believe that at this point, like, I said high school, like, oh, my God, four, like, seven years ago at this point. Where cause... where did the, like, studious sort of upbringing come from? Like, it, those that takes a bit of a, a natural sort of motivation to go, like, I want to learn. And it doesn't matter if I'm going to, like, or maybe it's just a comfort zone. You like to be in your room studying and stuff. Like, where did that, like, yeah. work ethic come from? Because I, I have a couple things I want to talk to you about today. Sure. We'll yeah. I mean, my, well, my parents are both teachers. So. Okay. My whole family is pretty much teachers. So right off the bat, um, and then like my grandfather was an engineer. Um, so right off the bat, and then also my family's like Eastern European. So education is like very important. And I grew up, you know, with my mom, particularly my dad always says, my mom's was particularly, uh, so my mom's a kindergarten teacher. So she specializes mm-hmm. in early education. So ever since I was young, you know, reading books, being exposed to things, being exposed to classes, like put in like, like sciencey camps or just like stuff like that and I guess not everyone takes to it right right but um I really took to it and I really loved it and I I just always did well in school that's another thing like everyone especially when you're younger I think everyone has their thing right where they're Mm -hmm. just like this is this is what I'm good at so maybe you know, a, a good parents or parents who who are able to will expose their kids to a lot of different things like sports. I was like, okay, I was like a runner when I was younger, but it, sports isn't really my thing. But just school and learning, just I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. I was really good, and it just brought me a lot of like validation and fulfillment. So then I just kept kept on it, and um, yeah, it's it's always been a super important part of my life. And I feel like, especially now that I'm sort of more removed from it, people don't always understand that that's that side of me um because in gaming it's not particularly like we don't have a lot of super serious academics we do have some but um the the background that i'm from is is unique i think in a way well and it channels like the way that you describe games or talk about them or teach people how to play like even the fact that you are yeah. teaching people how to play and i want exactly. to get to your bloodborne videos in a yeah. in, in a little bit but i i wanted to ask because it it sounds like okay my first question is like mm-hmm. when did they start skipping you like three or four grades <laughs> never. never i was in advanced <laughs> i was in advanced programs um yeah. 
but uh yeah never was that strange grade, for you I at remember... all like did you ever think like what is this why am i doing weird this? Or, yeah, yeah yeah i remember being pulled into a room when i was younger mm-hmm. and like basically given aptitude and iq testing and no one really mentioned what it was it was just like in the third grade you know i was in this room with like this guy who was asking me a bunch of questions and like writing tests i'm like this is this is weird um but then when i got older i kind of um, and then opted into more advanced programs like in, in high school and stuff. And mm-hmm. then I, I like I, so, I was sort of more aware of it. But still thinking back, I'm still like, that's weird. They don't really tell you what's going on. It's like a weird, a weird labeling thing. Like, I personally don't think they should do that anymore. <laughs> like, well, that's yeah, what like, I was going to wonder. That's what that's why I asked the question, just because, yeah, yeah. Like, the situations they put kids in like one way or another, you don't tell them. And then they're doing something that like they don't really understand. But you do tell them it's like, well, is that too much pressure for an eight year old kind of thing? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't, I don't think they should. But I understand that there's like a lot of challenges in the educational system. And you want to give the kids who are performing at one level certain opportunities and you want to help the kids who are maybe you know have other strengths or not performing at the same level it's like definitely a challenge so mm-hmm. but it, ideally everyone would just you know be the same that just like we would have programs that would suit everyone but that was just so that was a weird thing of yeah so <laughs> at, what, at what point did you go like did it dictate like where you went to high school or anything like that because you were kind of probably choosing your education path yeah. a little earlier than most people really want to think I about was. that stuff yeah, I mean, I was always I also have just like the virtue of always having like a plan. So yeah, I, I mean, not really high school, it, it dictated what programs I went in high school. And I think if if my high school hadn't offered this program, like it's it was this program called the International Baccalaureate Program, which yep. a lot of people do now. Um, so if my high school hadn't have had that, then I might have gone to another one. It's certainly um, when I was thinking about where to apply to universities and stuff dictated that. So my whole life, I've kind of, yeah, had been thinking about the next step very early on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, when I was in when I was in university, I started thinking about what I wanted to do post grad, like from my second year, and began planning towards that. So, it definitely helps to have an advantage. It doesn't necessarily make you the most fun at parties, but like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's fascinating. Like, I, okay. I I think there's a, there's also this weird like fine line between like the professional student, right, the person who takes like 15 years to finish their their undergrad and things like that, yeah. versus like somebody who like it just sounds like you've always had like a plan, but that wasn't like too far ahead. Head, like you always just had like your goals yes. it seems like it was like a few a few years like in the next like sort of like five years yeah I I never I've never known what it is mm-hmm. what like too far ahead because I also have changed a lot yeah so um you know when I was younger I wanted to I don't know I think the first thing that I ever wanted to, to be was a lawyer and then um I got really into science so I thought mm-hmm. I wanted to do that and then I when like I was most in my young girls yeah, yeah, exactly. pretty common. Most, yeah, most very common girl, young girls, like, literally, when I was in, you know, in 11th grade, I was like, reading like, physics in, in the library, when most people were talking about like, the Jonas Brothers, like, I've always been mm-hmm. incredibly annoying. <laughs> Wait, um, and then I switched around a lot in university from like, environmental biology to more physical sciences. And then I ended up picking up um, a major in in history and philosophy as well. So I switched a lot. And then um, when I graduated university, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then that's been kind of like three years of exploring mm-hmm. um, the best the best options for me. So that that was a point where I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure anymore. But mm-hmm. uh, it's been good this period of just exploring and trying different jobs and stuff like that so is that currently where you are like you you've got your your bachelor of science i believe exactly yeah did i hear like i don't know if there's a rumor i've made it completely up in my head were you accepted to harvard were you going to harvard at some point yeah yeah so i was uh i was accepted to harvard law school um and uh so that was that was kind of that that was that was the plan uh a lot happened and I, I'm technically on leave uh, from Harvard Law School for this year. So, um, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> is there stuff? Should I say? Should I say? Can I? 
Is there stuff that I can tell you that is not necessarily going to be in the podcast or like for background or I don't know how. Allie, I'm really sorry to tell you this. This whole thing is the podcast. <laughs> okay, is, okay, we're 20 okay, minutes okay. into the show. So yeah, you're okay, whatever you so, want to share. I'm glad you clarified because I'm like, it, yeah. it sounds like you're podcasting no, right I now. Just, so. I just don't know. I just don't know if there's any like post editing or whatever. No, this is, um, this is pretty no, much this it. Is, <laughs> this is it. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're halfway done. So, so yeah, so I guess there are going to be updates coming to sort of my next steps about um about law school basically in the in, right. the, in the next coming meet weeks um nothing that I'm really sharing right now but yeah that is that was that was a big deal for me and that mm-hmm. was sort of the biggest thing I think when you get up and you grow older um you know you you start to think um like a lot of things that seemed easier had a very clear path when I was a kid. And then part of being an adult is being faced with all these difficult choices and then deciding, okay, what's the one thing that I really want to commit the rest of my life to. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure about um, Harvard at the time, but having this year off and exploring different things and especially like my passion for games industry stuff has been very, very helpful. So then how do you, cause man, I, there are so many different like paths and tracks here, Allie. <laughs> know, um, you know. Like how, so you take, okay, hang on. I want to, I want to take a pause on the sure. whole, like taking a pause on, on Harvard or even getting into Harvard. Like what is yeah. that? What is that process? That's something that's not something most people have experience with. So no. you're working up towards this as being a goal, obviously. And then like you yeah. submit your application, like what's the, what's the application process? Like, I feel like for me outside looking in, it's like, it's not even like application. It's like they pick you rather than you actually apply to them. It's definitely an application. Um, so for law school in particular, so it's it's a professional school and you basically there's a few steps in the application. This me getting into law school is like a two year process. Yeah. Um, so one component is you have to write what's called the LSAT, uh, mm-hmm. which I which is my sort of baby, my favorite little test um, and th- that I now tutor. So I, I scored well on the outside, scored yeah. one away from perfect or in the 99.94th percentile. So it's like, this is my baby at this point. I just fell in love with this test. And I think at, at a certain point when I was leaving law school, it's like, I, I like the LSAT more than I like the idea of being Okay, a let's, let's take a part. I hate interrupting. I'm so sorry no, because no, you're no so worries. eloquent and great speaking at this. I was just, I'm like on the edge of my seat waiting to like what happens next. But like, <laughs> For those of us like normies, like what is involved in an LSAT? And then maybe that can give us some context as to like yeah. why you like it so much. It's basically an IQ test. Um, it's basically a like a, a puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's a puzzle. It's a challenge. It's a game. I I create. I like. I love. I love gaming, and I love like logic, and which is why I think I like the games that I do, like Dark Souls, and I also like Hearthstone a lot because they're very. I don't know cerebral games. You have to be thinking about your next step. Uh, yeah, the Elsa is a logic puzzle. There's like literally a section that has logic puzzles. And then there's one section that's reading comprehension, which is a little drier, but still you have four passages. You have to read them and answer questions. And then um, the the body, the main body of it, two sections are um, what's called a logical reasoning. So they give you an argument and you have to sort of deduce with formal logic, basically what's what's wrong with it or what's the flaw or how how could you improve this argument or whatever so yeah it's it's its own little logic test basically a lot of people think that it has like questions about the law on it right it doesn't at all it's not like um it's not a it doesn't have any it's not a content-based exam it's not like the mcat where you study a bunch of biology and then you write this test it's all just testing uh your thinking Mm -hmm. and i like it a lot and so you ended up like wanting to be a lawyer all the way from being a little girl all the way up to this. Like, I feel like even that is yeah. is pretty rare. Was there ever a time where you're like, man, maybe maybe this isn't really like lining up my parents because I, I used to be strong in math as a kid. But then it's like math <laughs> sort of changed as you got older. Like, yes. like grade 12 math is not the same as like, obviously, for, like, but for, like they throwing letters in there. And you're proving circles and all these other different things. Like <laughs> math became different. And also my parents really wanted me to become an accountant because of that. Yeah. And I felt like as I got older, I felt like, like that's like being an accountant isn't necessarily like math. Like, even though that sounds kind of strange, it has more to do with like my big sticking point with, with accounting was that it can't like that their rule book is generally applied accounting practices or principles. 
Right. And I'm like, what do you mean generally? Like, why isn't there <laughs> like, I thought this was math. I thought this was like, you know, you do this and then this is the outcome. Like this is the equation and this is the solution. And yeah. I got, I got very frustrated with that. So this thing that like, I thought maybe I would want to be doing, or my parents were like the people, like the older people who were smarter than me said, you would be good at this. I discovered partway through that that was not for me at all. Like, I'm very curious how you were able to kind of like remain so focused on law through all of the different changes. Like LSAT is something that maybe mm-hmm. you didn't know at the time you would have come to learn it at some point, but you would have had to learn that is a thing and then still go, look, nope, I still want to do it. Even though it's this weird exam that isn't law is this logic stuff so yeah i'm curious on the on the focus over the years yeah i think the main and my main philosophy basically is i just always wanted to do something well um i wanted to go somewhere or harness my skills in the best way possible that would allow me to sort of be at the top of my field and so i did a lot of I explored a lot of different interests like in science or whatever. And then I just I trust my gut a lot and my instinct. And then um, I just got to a point where I where I analyze my skills and I'm like, you know what? I think that my skills and the intersection, the best intersection of my skills, and my interest is is law. So jumping yeah. through these different hoops, I think that I could I could see myself in, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever, being at the top of my career, obviously. There was a point where I was like really in the midst of law school and then I was thinking about all these loans where I was still like, do I really want to be tied down to this forever? Mm-hmm. That was my main main question because then I wouldn't have the the sort of freedom that I had where I was jumping around. So although I sort of when I was thinking about my higher education, I was like, OK, I thought about grad school. You know, I, I never really wanted to be a doctor, so I didn't consider that. But I thought about, OK, if I was going to go to more school it would be law school. And then there was mm-hmm. a question of, well, do you actually want more school? And then now that question is still, um, I guess, up in the air for now. Uh, but again, I, I love that you're just so <laughs> open and like honest with the whole like, because it is like, yeah. it, it, I don't know, it, it's always easier on the other side. You're like, well, I knew what I was doing the whole time. But yeah, yeah it's, no, it's a there's yeah. such a fluid. And like you said, as you grow up and like, then the black and whites become more shades of gray and everything. Exactly. exactly. Then it becomes a little bit more difficult. I want to flip to I want to flip to gaming because we're going to come yeah. to a bit of an intersection, as you say, um, with with Dark Souls and everything else. But that's more current where like I could just imagine you playing like the simple games that the rest of us were playing, like the beeps and the bops and everything. And you're just going <laughs> like, no, I need I need something more like give me yeah. give me the witness at six years old, please. Right. <laughs> so like what was your kind of like upbringing with with gaming? Where did it come into your life? Yeah, so it definitely started with Pokemon, as yeah. I'm sure it does with a lot of people. Um, I was, you know, born in 1993. So growing up in a time where like the Pokemon cartoon or anime or whatever you want to call it was on TV. Um, and then just falling in love with that culture. I was like, I, I really need to get my hands on a Game Boy. So got my parents to buy me a Game Boy. My parents, by the way, have always hated gaming. Oh no! I mean, in, in a good spirited way, but yeah. it's been a constant thing of I had to, you know, really pry their teeth when it comes to allowing me to have consoles in the house. So mm-hmm. uh, Game Boy, which yeah, exactly, right? Which um, or just you know going outside and and on all that stuff. Yeah, so, you're already four uh, years old. You should be studying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I think when I was six, I got my Game Boy Color, totally fell in love with Pokemon. And then I, I got a GameCube. And then um, I I remember, you know, my friends were playing like Mario Kart and stuff. That was really fun. But I got like the complete, like when they were selling, w- with my GameCube came like Zelda, the Zelda collection um, up until uh, Majora's Max. And then mm-hmm. it had like a little teaser for Wind Waker. So fell in awesome. love with, with Zelda, it was just like a complete wild universe, and then also really Animal Crossing too. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Animal that is Crossing. completely opposite. I did not I see know. that coming at all. No, no, no. I'm like a huge fan of Animal Crossing too. My first ever all nighter was, I think it was in the third grade or fourth grade or something. Where I just stayed up all night <laughs> until I paid off Tom Nook's debt. Oh my god, I love that. My first all-nighter. Like, yeah, usually that's like school studying yeah. and everything. My first all-nighter no. was in grade three playing Animal Crossing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then I um, sort of had a craving for more advanced mature games. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get an Xbox. And then I went on my own, like just took the bus 
to Walmart, saved up some money, got an Xbox, and basically like smuggled it into the house. That's hilarious. How did you even do that? Things enormous. I know, I know. I just like I just when my parents were out, right? I just came in, and then I just put it sort of indiscriminate. My parents are not very good at technology, so I just put it indiscriminately. Eventually, they they were like, "You have an Xbox, don't you?" I'm like, "Yeah." And they were like, okay, whatever. It but, becomes uh, just like in the house mystery. Like, wait a minute, yeah. what is that thing? Uh, I need to research this. Oh no, I don't have the internet. Dang it, this is too yeah. old. Yeah. So wait, what? How did you like scrounge together some money? Like, what were you like? Did you have like a, a job at that point? You're, I mean, high school. I think. At that I point? think. Yeah. Uh, I never really had. I think like tutoring a little bit. Um, yeah, I think tutoring was was my main job when I was in high school. I would like. I was just like tutor my um my friends like <laughs> i love my, that my friends parents would just be like uh ali's doing really well we're just gonna pay her like 20 dollars an hour or whatever to like teach you math that's really good <laughs> that's yeah, kind of so, like that's what Fortnite tutors are getting paid right now yeah right Isn't that was that wild but uh, totally i like i understand like as someone who's like been tutoring forever i understand like the tutoring market very well and in whatever mm-hmm. form like it doesn't surprise me that there's a tutor for Fortnite at all like right. tu- there's like tutor for anytime you're good at something like people want to, to like capitalize on this so like be like okay i'll teach you to tutor especially with video games now that a lot of people i think see it as their chance um at economic independence rightly or wrongly mm. but the fact that children can play games and then achieve success in them and achieve an income like it's certainly not necessarily stable but if you know if instead of learning math um you know you your kid wants to or maybe in a better way comparison is just instead of learning a sport and paying um you know for them to be a part of a football club or a local soccer team or whatever you're you're paying them for the development in in video games so yeah it doesn't surprise me it's kind of wild but it doesn't surprise me that's nuts i what do you think is because you mentioned kind of like rightly or wrongly like mm-hmm. so so you start tutoring i guess it was it your idea to start tutoring and then offer it or did you were you kind of like pulled out of the crowd like can you maybe help my son or daughter with this whole yeah, thing? Or like, yeah it was, it was definitely like that. it was definitely that um then when i had and like when I wrote the LSAT and got a good grade, I knew that that was a marketable thing. And so I definitely created a business around that. Of course you did. But, um, yeah, and you, but wrote when the, I was, you wrote the business plan in your sleep. Right. Yeah. But when I was younger, it was definitely just like, oh, this this kid is smart, whatever. Let's just like pay her. And I was like, okay, like, sure. <laughs> so when did you start applying that to games? Because you have an excellent series that we all want to get to with um, Bloodborne for Beginners, which I think mm-hmm. is one of the best well-crafted, like this is how you play it. Because it's more than just this is how you play it. It's more than um, do this to beat this character and do this to beat this character. It's like, if you want to, if you want to, if you want that, that's probably somewhere else, but you get like the whole, this is what this means. This is what is symbolic of something else. Or even like you insert your own interpretations into what the game is. I have, I completely fell in love with the Bloodborne for beginners. And you also like very, like your delivery of it, very calm, like very just like anti YouTube. <laughs> like it was just so yeah. great. Yes. I know. I am very anti YouTube, like in the, in the tone that a lot of people do strike, like, I'm not, you know, I, I just, I knew that was never going to be me. Never you don't even appear be. in the videos. Like, like, it's not like five yeah. minutes in, like, smash that bell, everybody. This is yeah. Bloodborne Beginners. Yeah. yeah, they, like, gently kind of encourage people to use the hashtag and, like, let me right. get into my deep, like, probably the deepest analysis into Bloodborne that exists on the internet. <laughs> so, like, where did that, because tutoring and then kind of guiding people through like the let's play i think are obviously very connected at least from a similar sort of like spot in your personality like but there has to be a point where somebody says or or you have a confidence within yourself that goes i think i can do this or i think i should be the one to say this because i like put my hands right at the start go like i don't know anything about anything i don't i'm terrible (laughs) at games i'm like average white guy on the internet so like just really nothing special about it but to teach somebody how to play something or like even about the lore and and the world within bloodborne like where did that sort of come from for you was there a precursor to the bloodborne uh, for beginner series there was so i've by the time i made the bloodborne for beginner series i have been making 
videos about the Souls games since 2015 on my channel and had played, I think before I even started making videos, I had fallen in love with Souls um, about like a year before then, maybe. Mm -hmm. So I got really immersed in the culture and I guess had mentors, I suppose. So there are a, a little bit of an old guard of hmm. souls people, um, particularly my two inspirations are Epic Name Bro and Vaddy Vidya. Epic, who's more of um, a walkthrough guy, and Vaddy, who's a lore guy. So there's this rich history of souls and like this rich community. And then I became friends with uh, a streamer, like one of the top Dark Souls streamers, who is also based in Toronto. So I really picked up, I just fell in love with the community and the culture. So had a lot of exposure to people doing stuff like this. And mm -hmm. then I got an itch to, hey, okay, I've watched this stuff. I've played the game and of myself, I've become immersed in the culture. I now want to start creating my own content. And then I did, I believe, a Let's Play of uh, Dark Souls 2. Then uh, Let's Play of Bloodborne. Then I made this video the story when dark souls 3 was coming out i made this video story of dark souls 1 and 2 explained that was my big video it just it's crazy the feeling of getting a video i, I think it's three hundred thousand views at this point that's nuts um but congratulations i remember and then it, it just jumped my subscribers like i was hanging around a thousand for a while then it just jumped it to five and now i'm at eight um so that was like a big now you're deal. a YouTuber. And then, yeah, and then um, and then I sort of was, like, doing a lot of stuff, and then I came back when I just had a bug. It's basically, like, whenever I have an itch to create something, I will. And then, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Bloodborne was going on the on PS uh, Plus, whatever. It was becoming free, so I'm like, okay, yep. I'm going to, like, inject a little bit of my knowledge. But, yeah, it came from, I think, I guess in any other way, I found something that I loved, and then I really studied about it and became immersed in it, and then I had the confidence to create my own stuff. I love that because so much of the focus on the Souls games, and I really am trying not to make an old Souls joke about the whole, anyway, <laughs> that's another thing. Um, because everybody talks about, like, you hear Dark Souls, and you're like, it's hard. And that's kind of yeah. it. And I've always like pretty much with any game like Ori and the Blind Forest and Cuphead and all, a lot of these games that people use like the first thing that they use to describe it is the difficulty of it. And of course, that's true. Like it's pretty undeniable. But what I appreciate about your videos is that like it shows that you obviously took the time to understand the lore in and like the world of Dark Souls and Bloodborne in addition to like the thing that's like right there in front of your face. And I think that that's what gaming needs more of. I'm not necessarily sure that if you look for it, it's always going to be there with every single game. But in those cases, like they absolutely were. So maybe kind of wrapping back to getting engrossed in the mm -hmm. world and just kind of immersed in, in understanding the lore. Like, were you able to, because for me, I, I, I played the game and I'm like, I'm just getting my ass kicked. Um, <laughs> I, I have, I can't even begin to think about like, what does that, right. what does the architecture mean? It's very, it's striking, but what does this mean? Or what is this world? Like, is that just maybe how your brain works that you played this I game? Yeah, so. it was hard. And you're like, there's clearly something more here. Yeah, I think so. I think it was just because I'm not like excellent pro gamer at like all genres. Yeah, but you know systems like you were able the, to break those yeah, systems down. Exactly. It's something about the create the people who create souls and the way that I think about life <laughs> vibed. And I saw what they were doing what do you and mean by that i want to dive into see, that a little bit i guess just the architecture like you're talking about like yeah. um i sort of anticipated you know what was going to be around the corner or you know i understand why they put the enemies that way or i i really understand um the tricks with um the light or when they they're trying to get you to look in a certain direction or become engrossed in one thing over there. And that, that instinctually to me was like, oh, well, I better turn around and look behind me because there's a reason why they don't want me to look over there. And then, oh, over there is something really interesting, lore-wise and thematically or something. So whatever it is about the architecture of the, of the, of the mind of the people who created that game and, and the kind of thinker that I am really jived well together. And mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, the fact that Souls in particular is very slow. 
and methodical. And it's really about taking your time and sort of executing these strategies, which I think a lot of people are just like, uh, ah, running like chicken with their like head <laughs> cut off. You really have to be extremely patient and yeah. you have to not let your emotions get the best of you. And you have to like pick it up and try again. And sometimes like I'll get into these weird loops. Like um, my friend, like, sat with me for like an hour or something as I was playing the Dark Souls remaster. I'm just like, I just can't get this one boss. I just, I, I like, I forgot the theory how to do it. I'm like, I just can't do it. And he's like, just sat with me for like an hour. So I just did this solo over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it clicked. And then now I can like do that. No problem. But it's, it's like, <laughs> you really have to be like a little bit of like a, a masochist or something. You just have to enjoy like <laughs> learning through pain almost. <laughs> Well, it is that it is the throwback, of course, yeah. um, to the old like Mega Man and everything like that. You're yeah. going to get beaten, 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 and finally like, oh wait, this is I get this, and that's amazing. And I think that that's like that's learning in general, yes. like not just yeah. necessarily with games. I remember very a very specific moment in junior high. Well, I guess some people call it middle school, grade seven, anyways. And yeah. like algebra is becoming a thing. Um, and I remember like it clicking in my mind and just like, I like ran home to my mom and was just like, I get it. Like I understand it. And it was like the best feeling ever. That's, but that's Dark Souls. That's like Mega Man. That's Bloodborne and everything. It's that, holy crap. This didn't make sense. Like just a moment ago in time, I didn't understand it and something changed yeah. in my brain. And now, now it totally makes sense. It's really um, the best feeling in the world. And yeah, I generally just really love that you, you picked up on the fact that, you know, from a PR and marketing standpoint, you, you know, these games are sold and their defining characteristic is that they're hard. But um, part of what I do is, yeah, trying to explain and sort of um, like illustrate the beauty that is otherwise sort of inaccessible if you don't really know how to play these games or whatever, mm-hmm. like laying things out bare and trying to communicate that to the world. And I think that just goes back to a lot of who I am, like just naturally I've always liked um, you know, may- maybe harder subject areas or whatever. And it can be quite a lonely thing, yeah. um, especially when a lot of people don't really understand um, what your interests are or whatever. Like I've never super, like I was always sort of a lonely kid and still am. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, it's just communicating and being able to share and like, hey, I know this is like really kind of like, like abstract or difficult or whatever. But if I can share with you like the beauty underneath it, like it's just a really great way to connect with people. I that's think. that's really interesting man that kind of has me thinking about like teachers and stuff because they mm-hmm. it, it i think even just being a teacher can almost be like a lonely experience because yeah. you're just trying to like how do i reach these keys and, <laughs> and you just like all you want to do is just kind of like have these breakthroughs but you're inherently different you're older you have different experiences and you're trying to like pass along this knowledge same thing with the bloodborne and everything and i just i've really kind of like gained a whole new appreciation i've had a lot of teachers on the show actually lately and there is that kind of like common thread of you know what i just want to be able to like pass this knowledge down i want to kind of inspire and think beyond like the edge like the front of your nose or tip of your nose i always think that that's amazing um i don't i can't dwell on that too much because i do need to talk to you about how did you come across the okb skies because there was this great collaboration between the two of you and like yeah like kind of maybe because i know what it is but for the people who don't know like maybe talk about the collaboration that you had with um with blessing and alex and and all of that how that come came about yeah, so Blessing and Alex and I, we all met because we are uh, were fans of this podcast group called Kind of Funny. And so they're like this entertainment industry, people like um, Greg Miller, who were formerly for, from IGN and then broke off and started doing their own thing. So I've been traveling to San Francisco a lot uh, just to, to meet up with people like this. And they were also traveling too. So I met... I met both Blessing and Alex at kind of funny live three or two, two, I think. <laughs> I, 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 no, I met them at two. I didn't meet Blessing so much at two. I definitely met Alex at two. And then um, Alex and Ian, no, Blessing and Ian had me on an OK Beast podcast uh, a few years ago. So mm-hmm. just because when, once you're sort of content creator in the gaming, like, IGN kind of funny arena you just sort of get to know each other through traveling and through internet and then um, they started their content started taking off and then I have since become a fan of their stuff and then was like at this point when I was sort of looking to do something a little fresh with my content because they have um, 
this really cool like production value and stuff that I didn't have. I was like, oh, okay, so for my new Bloodborne series, I would love to collaborate with you guys and just like create like a fun like opening cinematic and then we can cross promote it on each other's channels. And mm-hmm. uh, that was like, that was really fun. Yeah, but I've known them for a while fr- via um, the kind of funny community i guess you could say it's a beautiful thing man i hope that those guys really know and understand um because i would have been a kind of funny too as well uh, oh my god my, yeah <laughs> uh so my wife and i went down and i i had this big plan to like bring a big canadian flag with me with like but the kind of funny <gasps> yeah. like the smiley like in the in the maple leaf and i totally messed it up like i had like this white marker that just ran everywhere and it looked like it was it looked like it was out of a horror movie cuz like the the dot dotted eyes were kind of tearing and like the smiley wasn't really a smiley so it's just like if kind of funny went horror it was just a disaster so i wanted to kind of do this whole thing and i kind of like backed off and i in my true like shy nature i saw like these giant groups of people all meeting up like i was at the um went to x men that week and there's yeah. these big meetups and everything i'm like nah i'm just going to just gonna hang out with my wife and we'll just be off to the side and stuff i got um i sat beside franklin sizemore the arctic sloth and just like that yeah. was it that was it i just kind of like a couple people and i i did not engage in the way and this is the this is the mistake because who knows what could have happened that's why everybody this is my warning to everybody listening is like just right man up <laughs> just yeah go like meet up with people because you never know you're gonna meet like the next blessing or the next ian and, right. and alex and everybody or Allie, like it's just incredible. So the Bloodborne for beginners, let me understand like the collaboration just a little bit, mm-hmm. a step further. So like they did an intro and maybe a little like OK Beast polish on top of something yep. that you had already done, basically. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they, they posted it on there. I just wanted it to live somewhere a little more um, permanent too that was outside of my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So they posted it on there. Oh, they, I think they also made made the thumbnail. Um, and I posted it on their website because I, I really love their website and its design. And so it just felt like a little more, um, you know, it was, a, it was expanding my reach to, mm-hmm. in compared to like just my YouTube channel. And it felt it felt good. But the the content and like the editing of like the actual video itself was was all just yeah, it was all just me. So how I was, you- like, I was basically like a guest contributor to to okay beast and that and that is perfect and i and that's the sense i'm getting from you as well is that you're able to kind of like dip your toes into a thing also be great at it and then kind of go like i'm good there i'm gonna go do this other thing uh okay i'm good there i'm gonna go back and do this other thing so maybe like a little bit of youtube and just have like this 300,000 view thing and then maybe i'll get into harvard and then maybe i'll also just try out like public relations in video yes. games as well. So yeah. how did that's something that maybe takes a little bit more like dedication from a day to day standpoint. Mm-hmm. But like, it seems to me that that would be more something for that a lot of people strive for in terms of like their main path. But this seems to be is this more of a, a side gig for you for now? Yeah, while you kind yeah, of figure things yeah. out at Harvard and stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Is it okay to say it like that side gig? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, I think it is. I mean, um, there was, yeah, it was basically when I got to the point where I was like, okay, I don't know about Harvard. So um, I'm just going to like back off and but I need something to do because I'm like very career oriented. I always need stuff that's going on. So I through um, like, you know, traveling kind of funny and meeting people. I met a lot of people who were doing work in public relations on the in the gaming industry. And it wasn't something that I ever really considered because I think a lot of your early exposure to the gaming industry is just the, the front pacing people, obviously. So the people who are the podcasters and the and the media and the entertainment. And then I started meeting people sort of doing interesting stuff behind the scenes, like uh, my friend Yusuf and Robin, who are yeah. at Ubisoft PR and um, Jen, obviously, uh, Greg's Miller's wife, who she's more like uh, marketing and branding, mm-hmm. but it's all sort of interrelated. So I was like, okay, I want to try this out and uh, see how it is because you guys seem to be doing really interesting things. And it may be a good blend of sort of my more business uh, oriented side, but also my love of this industry. So uh, when I decided to to put Harvard on hold for a year, I, I reached out to all of them and I was like, hey, like, you know, where would you recommend going to have a job? And Robin in particular um, was really instrumental and sort of gave me a lot of advice because she's from Canada as well. And I also talked to Jen a little bit about it and just gave me leads of people um, to who are in, in, the, in the industry doing stuff. And then uh, I, I basically like went on interviews and then I, I 
I got a job. So I've been basically working in yeah in games PR uh, for the past. I guess I got my first job in January, and then now it's yeah. So like eight, seven, eight months. Does it yeah. seem like Does it seem like longer? Is it Is it a good it does thing? Seem that, like longer? Does it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that Is that a good or a bad um, thing? I'm never really sure. Yeah. It's It's just it's sort of a neutral thing. Like it's just, yeah, sure. I can't believe the things that I do in a year. It's kind of like, yeah. Oh my God. I can't, that was only a few months ago, but like, so now I'm at, at a different agency that called evolve that specializes only in games, which is amazing. But before I was working, um, for, uh, an agency that was sort of all around well-rounded, but I was particularly mm-hmm. working with Microsoft and Xbox Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just like amazing. I just can't believe that I did like all these like different things. I just have like an unfortunate or fortunate ability to do a lot of stuff. So sort of the things that I set my mind to, I can just accomplish. But that leaves me in sort of awkward position oftentimes of like, oh, I need to figure out like what I really do. <laughs> Right, because like the fact that you're good at it is not the sign. Like for a lot of people, that is the sign. You're like, oh, I'm good at this. I'll do this. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, I kind of able to do like a lot of things. So it's just you mm-hmm. get to be very choosy, yeah, about it. So yeah. what is okay? This is kind of like probably one of the most like out of the interviewer's handbook. Just like what is the most surprising thing? Like the, maybe a different way to put it is like what are some like misconceptions about video game PR? I think it looks incredibly hard. I think it's a ton of hours and totally unappreciated work and just a lot of stuff. So is that like how close am I? I guess. Yeah, I would say totally. I don't think people really <laughs> understand what I think people don't even really understand what PR is. Sure. Really. Or what people do. It's like, and then you really have to wear a lot of hats, especially in today's day and age. Um, you know, people are looking for console on video. People are looking for console on the aesthetics of their Steam page. People are looking for, obviously, press relations. And that's easy, but consultations right. on um, community management, consultations on when to launch their game. Mm-hmm. So it, you, you are really... Uh, someone's advisor in a lot of ways um, on strategy. It's, it's again, and I guess, well, this is how I view it. I'm sure other people view it in different ways, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a strategy. It's like the communication strategy. And it's not, um, I think a lot of people think that, especially in this day and age, it's like just social media stuff or it's just like, but PR at its heart is like any public communication. So, um, a lot of what I do and a lot of what my specialty is, is uh, communicating with the press. And so writing press releases and stuff like that and, and, and setting up interviews and stuff and going back and forth with members of the mainstream press and then a little bit of like influencer relations as well. So PR is like a very varied field. And I feel like people don't know a lot. Like PR isn't the same thing as sales. So we're not right. trying to sell the game. We're basically, our goal is to generate positive awareness. And I think a lot of people also think that PR people lie. Um, or, took the next question out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, like the whole like fake news thing. But I feel like the fake news, uh, hashtag fake news has been around longer with video games specifically to, to PR. We've always, we're always reading these press releases going like, ah, there's a little spinning going on there. Exactly. And um, I think that really my, of course, other practitioners will have different, different viewpoints. Like I've, you know, I've been in meetings with people sometimes where, where, where I've had a conversation with them, obviously not naming any, any names or anything, but just where it's been like, um, you know, oh, why don't we, why don't we sort of market the game this way? Like, yeah. and I'm like, okay, well, is that true? And right. then they're like, oh, it's, it's marketing, whatever. And I'm like, what? No, No. that's what people. And then I think we are experiencing. I think No Man's Sky in particular is one of the best modern, and as well with the whole loot box thing. But in the modern realm, especially No Man's Sky, people basically understand that the failure of that game was not the game itself, but it was the PR around that game, and this building of unrealistic expectations. People are really done, and people are really sick of that. It's still mm-hmm. going to continue a little bit, but people, there's a real pushback. And what I think people need to understand about PR, and even some people who practice PR, is that it is a two-way model. So you are supposed to be 
representing the public as much as you are supposed to be representing the company. Yeah. And you are supposed to be the advocate between good communication and good relationships between your client and but you also have a duty to the public as well because if you piss off the public it just not you know nothing is going to go well. So a lot of our job and I think the people who practice it well is also um having conversations with developers, having conversations with, with video game companies about, well, um, you know, we can't really say that or we shouldn't really say that or even elements of things that they have in their game. We, we just advise. Of course, we never say, no, don't do that. But just this is going to be viewed some way by the public and there's a, not a good perception to that right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we should think about it. And yeah, I think that's that's good PR. There's definitely good PR versus bad PR. I feel like for some reason that No Man's Sky will end up in every single like PR like yeah. textbook or whatever. It'll be like the exactly. case study. Yeah. Where where do you like if that's the case like from even from an academic standpoint or from a storytelling standpoint, like where do you fall on what happened? Because I think that some people fall on like it was on Hello Games, maybe some people think it's more on on Sony side. Like do you are you able to kind of convey an opinion on on what happened with No Man's Sky? Yeah, I think it was, um, and I really I love Sean from Hello Games. He really talked very openly recently about everything that happened yeah. in um, an interview with uh, Waypoints, uh, Patrick Klepek and Austin Walker. And I think the way that he said it seemed accurate to me, to my gut. Um, basically, he. No one really wanted to be the spokesperson for this game. And so then he was like, okay, I'll do it. And then he started, you know, going to interviews and just saying, like, does this game have this? Yes, yes, whatever. I think it was in part him not knowing how to convey things clearly to Mm. the public or set realistic expectations. I think he fed into it, and I think he acknowledges that. I think it's um, part of uh, the media who... There were very few people who actually asked difficult questions or actually asked realistic questions. And then uh, once Sony got involved, I don't think there was anyone there really um, sort of reining in or giving advice on what to say. And Shuhei Yoshida, um, president of of the the gaming side of Sony as well, also stated that, yeah, we made a mistake in terms of the PR in No Man's Sky. Uh, I know when they brought him out um, at E3, uh, a few years ago, you know, that really fueled the hype. It was just no one sort of, no one anywhere along that chain sort of um, stepped up and was like, uh, hey, yeah, actually, like, we need to be thinking more uh, realistic or narrowly about this. And they just let the whole machine. And then, of course, it's like the fans, too, who are, you know, speculating about stuff on Reddit and getting so excited. And mm-hmm. I think No Man's Sky is brilliant because conceptually it's something that harnesses that imagination. But I think everyone let their imagination run totally. That's, that's so funny. Yes, the people who it was designed to satisfy were the ones who ended up kind of like creating those expectations as well. I yeah. love the way that you were able to kind of like describe that situation from basically like four different standpoints. And they're all, I don't know if they're like equal or what, but they all play like a pivotal role in exactly what happened. So it's almost yeah. like if only we had maybe just another thousand characters on Twitter that we could actually kind of convey this because if you're if you're especially back then it was 140 characters you got to choose one side and that's it and i guess that that's kind of like as i talk about pr and talk about fans reactions to games and just the general conversation that's why i like doing this better because you can actually have a dialogue about it rather than like well i'm limited to i don't even know if anybody does it like consciously that they think i've only got this many characters but that automatically i think in a way forces you into a more black and white opinion on something than you would than you would otherwise so i just really appreciate the way you're kind of like you know what this is actually the way it should, that it actually went down and um it's not really any one person's fault but i do love the fact that at some point fans were all saying take my money take my money and then yeah. everybody else is kind of thinking I, I guess we just will yeah <laughs> we'll, exactly we will just take your money i know one you know it took someone i definitely on on the corporate side to sh- should have stood up but mm-hmm. you know as we as we've seen throughout history throughout all industries it's incredibly hard to do that to you know to step up and be like hey actually or like in a way disappoint people or in a way adjust expectations like no one wants to say no people have invested money in this the pressures are enormous it's very hard to be 
a good person or I don't want to say like they were a bad per- person, but it's very hard to do the right and moral thing, especially when it counts. That's why I think everyone should just get in the habit of practicing be- doing the right and moral thing in just in a little bit in their daily lives. And mm-hmm. then when it comes, if you're ever in a position where all of a sudden, you know, you're this indie game developer and then become like one of the most famous men in gaming in the world, then you'll have a, you'll have the practice to, to maybe, you know, do the, do the right thing in that scenario too. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe practice not sending death threats over the internet and all yeah. those kind of things. Is there any support the PR kind of plays for developers? Like if something bad like that, like, was there anybody do you think for, for that team to go to in that situation or is, is that completely separate? Like in terms of like, like recovery, the, I guess, like crisis yeah. recovery. Yeah, like, so there man, this are is bad. <laughs> a part of, uh, like one sort of specialty of PR is crisis management. Yeah. Um, that's the thing is it seemed really like, of course they were, they, they were brought in with Sony, but it really right. seemed like they were just their team, which was, I think six people or whatever at that point, that's I think nuts. they were pretty much flying solo. Yeah. So I think they were pretty much relying on the sense that I got from the interview was that like no one else wanted to deal with it at all. Everyone was just like, Sean, like, you are the face now. None of us want to touch this at all with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> You'll be fine. We just want to make the games. Yeah. So, um, you know, if they had better representation, then certainly that is a role of PR to, like, help them work through the crisis. Even, you know, sometimes I'm even, um, you know, on the – or, like, fielding, being the first light of fire. And, like, some people mm. will give me their social media accounts. Or I've written um, – like, uh, in response to crisis, I've written like things that people should post on their steam page or it's, it's interesting too, as well. It's like, it, it gives you an interesting perspective. It's like, um, because I've written, you know, stuff that the company said things that they say in response to crisis. So just like getting like a behind the scenes look is interesting. It's like, mm-hmm. no one knows that it's just like, me like Allie like some yeah. girl like just sitting at her home like in Toronto um it's you know but they obviously approve it and everything but it's interesting but that uh, anyways long story short yes that is a role I just don't think they really had anyone doing that for them that's a funny thing that you say too because like I, I I do a lot of that sort of work as well where I'm writing something on behalf of somebody else and like yeah. when you get the responses back saying like hey x person and you're like that's really funny that like, I guess I managed to, I don't know if it's a trick or just about yeah. that well enough that they per- that that person thinks it's from this other person, but that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's common. Like, you know, even politicians yeah. and presidents, like they all exactly. have speech writers. Right. It's not them. <laughs> yeah. And, and some, well, we won't get too much into it, but sometimes you can tell when it's them and sometimes you can definitely yes. tell when it's not them, right, but right, right. that's a whole other, that's a yeah. whole other chat. Allie, this could, this is possibly one of the most like fascinating hours I've spent with somebody on this show. Thank you, Thank you so much. We have, we have gone the gamut here. Cool. Um, right at the, as we close things out here, do you mind if you just tell everybody if, uh, where they might be able to find you on the internet and also explain that Twitter handle of yours? Yeah. So, uh, definitely like sort of my hub on the internet is my Twitter. So just go to at that little fly, uh, exactly like it sounds on Twitter. And then you'll find links there to, um, my youtube channel and i don't know what i have there i i have a website i i don't know if it's still linked there whatever anyways the main thing is my twitter that's where you get all the information from uh, that little fly is basically an anagram of my name um so little fly my last name mushka in ukrainian means little fly and it's the alexandra tamara mushka that little fly um, of course it's something like mind-bogglingly crazy and intelligent <laughs> oh my god it's just like this little cute little thing and then I'm like nope it's got this amazing meaning to it. Yeah, that's that's my brand is like outwardly like cute, but like with a lot of depth also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my mine is also an anagram, just spelled the exact same way. Just Sean right. Capri. Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah, I, that's yeah. how I managed to do that. <laughs> well, thank you again for taking time out of your day, and especially on short notice. I really appreciate um, this chat. This was amazing. Thank you. I just realized that I recorded that first part with uh, the baby monitor going like full blast. So I don't know if the noise <laughs> cancellation got rid of that. Lincoln is still sleeping. It's very late at night on a Saturday night. This is pretty much the time that you and I get to have a little chat. 
And that's the way things go. Thank you so much to Allie at that little fly. You guys, I know you've already tweeted at her. So maybe just do it again. Give her, give her a little love. Thank you so much, Allie, for being on. I'm going to be in Toronto in a couple weeks hanging out with my good friends from Game Moose Podcast. I am so freaking pumped. It's going to be amazing. Just like the glorious movie show. Thanks again to Mr. Mark Moody for having me on the podcast talking about movies. Guys, check out that at Out of Lives YouTube channel. Uh, the music, of course. How could I not choose something from at least the Dark Souls or Bloodborne world? Dark Souls conflag... Conf- See, I need Ali to say this word for me. I can't even freaking read. Conflag- conflagration. That's not it. Ocremix.org is where you find it anyways. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening and subscribing and leaving a review. We're going to do something, I think, with the Make Us Better crew about like launching a ton of reviews all at once at the same show and try and get us to crawl up the charts. Remember, I'm on If We Ran Nintendo on Friday nights on Bobby's channel, youtube.com slash Guru. I do stuff for We The Nerdy. I will be playing. I've been playing, um, oh, my goodness, We Happy Few on the PlayStation 4 for WeTheNerdy.com. I've been playing it on Twitch.tv slash Sean Capri. I didn't mention that at the top of the show. I'm on my way to affiliate, guys. That's going to happen. I'm going to get like myself some sweaters. Apparently, streamers get by themselves gifts when they reach certain like milestones and stuff, so look forward to that. Um, please consider, if you haven't already, support us at Patreon.com slash MakeUsBetter. And um, thank you to our artist, Gary Gray, Adam Leonard. Adam, working on some stuff probably for me, I hope. I hope you're doing well, Adam. And thank you to Antonio Guillen, making the video all look really great. Thank you to Dayspace for hosting us. Otherwise, this is episode 166 of We The Gamer Cast. Now in your ears. Now it's in your ears and your eyeballs. Thanks for listening. I have, I've got a couple of minutes here. I've got a couple seconds here, guys, because uh, the music is still going. I've got to wait for it to kind of play out. And I wanted to ask you guys, like, what you think about like this? It's like a chapstick, but I've got like rubber bands kind of wrapped around it. I don't know why I didn't really want to ask you about that, but like I had a second and it was just kind of over here. Um, and good luck with your backlogs, guys. Whatever it is, I hope it's going well. And I'm going to see you guys next week. I'll see you on Friday. I don't know, probably Wednesday. Hopefully, if Ran Nintendo's up, we'll see what Bobby's doing with that. Who knows? I'll see you guys next time. Now it's time for Jason. Now, now he's happening. Jason, bye. Bye, Jason. Jason! 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 John! 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 John, where are you? Jason! 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 John! 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 Jason! 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 Jason!